Hey, 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 today I am joined by John Brooks, writer and producer of 19 Shades of Grey, a documentary asking 19 black women about their experiences as women of color in the world today. This award-winning documentary has been in several film festivals and is available to the public for a limited time. We meet the author and learn of his inspiration for the project and about his process. He shares his passion for language and travel and his encyclopedia-level knowledge of Star Trek. We hear about his campaigns for Congress. Yes, campaigns. More than one, glutton for punishment, I guess. His musical proclivity, other projects, and what he would have as a last meal. So sit down, strap in, turn on and turn up this Warp Speed episode of Tony on the Mic. Our story begins as these stories often do. But I didn't know, so I wanted to ask the question. And the only way I can get that question answered was to ask them. And when our children tell our story, and when, when our, our children, children tell our story, you're clear to go right, through, right. get the snake, cut it open, and take the, co the cocaine out. That's a bad deal for the yeah. smugglers. For the snake. You have no control. I have to start somewhere. Even with all that I think that I know, I realize that there's so much more that I do not know. Story, story, that one was just sad. And I hope it's different. Yeah, always in motion is the future. Yeah. You would have said that. Don't get me on Jar Jar. Don't get me going. You'll either. ruin the rest of the uh -huh. podcast. <laughs> my speech but the way we treat <laughs> sounds politicians like me, sounds like you're giving me your speech sorry this is a dumb question that, <laughs> that i probably should know the answer is there an actual klingon language there is that, that i have to say that's the most amazing story i ever heard good morning good afternoon good evening whatever time you listen to this fine podcast product my name is tony lawrence and i'm tony on the mic today my guest is john brooks Currently, he is the writer-director of 19 Shades of Black, and while that may sound like it's 31 shades short of a tawdry book and movie, it's not. It's actually a project that asks what it's like to be a black woman in America today. We're going to cover that and a couple other things. In the meantime, say hi to the folks, John. Hello, everyone out there in Radio Land. I appreciate you uh, coming in today, working this out. It's Let's see. You were born and raised in California. Oakland, California, to be Oakland. specific. And is that, like, if somebody says, what's your, where are you from? What's your home? Is it? I would say Oakland. Even Oakland. though I was partly raised in Los Angeles, I always claim Oakland as my home. Oakland. And you mentioned, sadly, you were a Raider fan. <clears throat> I might be able to edit that out, but... Uh, <laughs> so you went to high school? In Dorsey High School in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, okay. Uh -huh. And uh, did you play any sports, any clubs? I, any... I did. I was on the football team, the B team, the JV team, and the varsity team. And I also did gymnastics. Um, it's funny because I grew up during Oakland Raiders heydays with George yeah. Blanda, Daryl LaMonica, those people. I just adored them. And so I wanted to be like George Blanda. So I field goal kick quarterback. And I, I really was never any good. <laughs> but I had heart. And the coach let me stay on the team. And, nice. and, and I ended up making first stream my senior year and, right. and going to college and all that. But I, Excellent. Wanted to be a pro player, but I knew it was never going to happen. Uh, let's see. You also, when you were in high school, you worked as an extra? Yeah, a lot of movie parts. It's funny. It's one of those things where you had these goals in life. And when I was in college, one of my goals, I want to be in a movie one day. You know, because growing up in L.A., there were a lot of, you know. Everything. Yeah, yeah, you would see it and you, you'd stand there on the <clears> set <throat> hoping because you've seen the movies. Hey, you, do you want to be in a movie? Then right. <laughs> and then you're right. Next thing you know, starring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But when I was in college, I carried that that wish, and then really, literally, one day I was in this the student center meeting a friend for coffee or something like that, and a guy came in and said, "Hey, do you want to be in a movie?" I'm really? not kidding. Yeah, 
Holy cow. And I, and we both laughed and I said, yeah, because okay. my friend knew my right? Yeah. Now he, you didn't know this person at all? No. He was wow. out there scouting. He was like a, a, a talent scout and they were filming a prison movie. Of course. In Montana. And they didn't need <laughs> black faces because the, the, the Robert Hooks was a star. Robert Hooks and James, um, uh, the person who was in uh, Schindler's List. Oh, not Schindler's List. Um, the Holocaust TV show. He's been in a lot of... James Woods. Oh, Woods, okay. Yeah, yeah. so he was in it. Those okay. are the two stars. And they needed some black people, so they came to the college. <laughs> there were 60 of us there, and they pretty much asked every one of us. How many said yes? Yeah, of course. Oh, All about 30. Oh, about that? Yeah. And um, and I ended up being well-liked by the by the crew and, and the cast and stuff, and I ended up promoting, getting promoted from extra to stand-in. And I even had speaking lines in that Get show. Get out of here! Yeah, so it was like, they were like, hey, you know, if you want to come to Hollywood, you... and I'm not kidding, they really right. said this. Right. And I said, but at that time, I wanted to be a wildlife biologist, and so I Bad said, choice, man. <laughs> you could be a wildlife biologist forever, <laughs> but being a, getting plucked out of the stands for Hollywood, that's yeah. once in a lifetime. No, it's, I, I know what you mean, and it's, I envy people like you kind of had an idea what they wanted to do younger. Because I, I still don't know what I want to do, yeah. so I'm, I'm still searching. But somebody plucked me out for a movie. I always had this dream that I'd go to a concert, and they would say, Hey, you want to come up and sing? And I'm like, Yes, I'm right there. You know, <laughs> something like that. That would be great. Okay, now it also says you wrote the original Karate Kid I in did. high school. I did, and this is no joke. So this was in the 70s. Uh, in high school, I don't know if you recall this, but junior high school and high school sometimes you would have these reading sessions and you'd read a book the whole class would read a chapter or something right, like that right 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 so one of my yeah, teachers brought in a play it was in one of these little magazines and there was a, a, a screenplay in there and I've never seen anything like that before and so we all read it and I was just fascinated by the dialogue and the storyline it was called the some guy the guy, the guy with the alligator shoes or something Yeah. but it was just brilliant and I thought you know I want to write a screenplay so I, I went home that night and I started writing a play. What could I write about? And so Kung Fu movies, Bruce Lee was my idol. It was very popular back then. I said, I want to write a story. And so it was about me, a black guy, and my friend who was the Japanese guy because my school was like half black, half Asian, like 60-40. No white people? Night one or two. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. Okay, yeah. go on. So I wrote this story about him and I, and we moved to a small town. And Receded. literally, the same thing that happened in The Karate Kid happened in my film. Ah. Literally, I'm not kidding. So you say, oh, okay, that's a coincidence. And yes, possibly, because there's no original thought. But another teacher took us to, because it was in Los Angeles, right. to a bunch of TV shows where you can sit in the audience and stuff. Nice. And we went to a premiere of one of this uh, show. And then afterwards, I went down and talked to the, the director. I said, hey, you know, I wrote a play, da-da-da-da-da. He says, okay, well, you know, send it to me, da-da-da. He gave me his, his right. address. It was at Paramount Studios. And back then, you probably sent him a packet of papers typed out, right? I not, did. Not like now, where you just email a copy yeah, of the no, file. And it was can, typed. Right. And that was returned to me, because they said, there is no Mr. Campus working here, and da-da-da-da, we're not going to look at this, da-da-da. And I said, okay, it's fine. I never found the guy again. Lo and behold, fast forward to the 80s, and I tried to get my father to read this. This is the key to that. Okay. And he never wanted to read it. But he looked at it a little bit. Come on, Dad. You, you got to read right? the screenplay. He didn't support me on that. Uh. So then Karate Kid came out and he said, oh, first I said, oh, see, look, someone did it. I knew my play could have been good, da-da-da-da. I'm not thinking someone stole it. Right, right. And then he said, you know, that play you wrote is a lot like the Karate Kid. 
And that's when it dawned on me, hey. Wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know that right, someone stole course, it. Right, of course, of course. But it is literally the same story from beginning to end, except mine was in a small town. It was about racial issues. Okay. And this was about a karate tournament. So at the end, my friend and I are in a park. It was a white teacher who taught us kung fu oh, in this film. Okay. Same type of thing. Hey, how did you do that? Can you right. teach us? The, the, the protagonist. The is mystical, though, is Mr. Miyagi. But... Wax on, right hand. Wax off left hand wax on wax off breathe in through nose out the mouth wax on wax off no it wasn't it was more <laughs> like because my kung fu teacher was a white man so i okay. patterned after him and it was kung fu not karate um and I was in love with the the, 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 girl, the girl and then that was her ex-boyfriend who oh no exact, dude that is the same the thing. same thing now was this completely fiction or was this it's fiction or was it tied I, into your life just on a periphery peripheral because you know yeah. racial things happen sure, to me throughout life and right. so i just built it into a story yeah nice yeah nice. so my story is more provable than that oh, okay and but way lower stakes mm. i used to do stand-up comedy around la and my mm -hmm. wife and i weren't married at the time but we we're dating mm -hmm. we went out and I had a notebook, and I, I carried it everywhere I went. Whenever I thought of something funny, I wrote it down, wrote mm. it down, wrote it down. Then I would de develop it into more of a, you know, structure and give it a give it a structure and, and be ready to prepare. And one day I'm going out and I go do a set, five minute, seven minute open mic, you know, no big deal. And and I killed it. I mean, I just was the best I'd ever been. Got that great feeling, and I'm so happy. And we walk out, and I leave my notebook. Ooh. So then about. Maybe a month later, because it was it's the same people. You know, it's every you know every Thursday night at Don Jose's Comedy Cabaret or you know whatever it was. Um, I go back and I'm doing another one with all all fresh stuff, and I hear this guy, and he does like two or three of the jokes that I was familiar with. So I went after the show. I said, "That's some good stuff up there," and he goes, "Thanks." He goes, "Did you leave a notebook?" And I said, "Yeah," <laughs> and he laughed, and I laughed. It was funny, and he gave me and he gave it back, and he tweaked them and everything, yeah, and made yeah, his. Yeah. But it was just really funny that he happened to find it and then yeah. I happened to be in the audience. I'm gonna try these out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, you know, but that's how life. That's yeah. like you said. There's simultaneous thoughts. There's no. There's no. Or there's nothing. Yeah. That we're gonna do that hasn't ever been done. Right. You know, unless we can time travel or something right. for real, not just theoretically. Then it says in the '80s you wrote a screenplay about parrot smuggling. Yeah, so my fascination with with the arts continued, and um, because I, I at this time I was a, a, a federal agent with the United with the um, United States Fish and Wildlife Service. Okay, so that was my job, and that's what you wanted to do. Is yeah, that what you well, okay. actually, I wanted to be a wildlife biologist, which okay. I was, but during the Reagan years, when I first got hired, he did that reduction in force and so a lot of government employees got um, relieved okay. of duty right. so they felt bad for me because i just started because it was last hire first fired right they said hey let's try to find something else for you so then they they found this thing in law enforcement which i'm like oh, law enforcement's not really my thing da 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 but uh they said you you protect an endangered species or first line of defense that i said okay i'll do it so i did that i was good at it. then i got recruited to be a federal agent the investigator it's like a detective versus a, a street officer right and so Bird smuggling was really, really big in, in, on the Mexican border. And so I wanted to write a story about that because I wanted to, to raise heightened awareness in people's right. minds that this really happens and it's a major crime. It's, and at that time, it was second only to drug smuggling wow. and the amount of money derived. Right, So that's why Ty... So parrots, um, was this like a just endangered species... It, it, endangered or not. Just people oh. were into like songbirds, parrots, because they talk and... They, they'd buy them so people would smuggle them and they huh. 
sold for as up to like ten thousand dollars for a wow. bird, depending on the species. It was oh, like yeah. anywhere from twenty five to ten thousand. Wow. And you know, a lot of birds died in transit. Of course. Um yeah. And so cocaine, because of the Miami Vice thing, was very popular at that time. So I tied the two together, and that's why I call it Citizen Kane, a playoff of uh, Citizen Kane, you. the classic. Yeah. Yeah. But Citizen means Citizen Birds, is uh, the scientific name, uh, and Kane, cocaine. And so spell it C A N E instead of K A N. It's yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. yeah, exactly. But also because of the TV show Kung Fu, Kane. Oh yeah, Kane. Why Chang Kane? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So there's a lot of symbolism in there. Okay. But yeah. So I wrote cool. that screenplay. Ended up making a music video out of it and it won several awards in Chicago and other places. And I thought that would satisfy me and it didn't. So I tried to make a film. Hmm. Now, where in Chicago? Did, where, did you spend some time in Chicago? Yeah, because of my job, I was transferred. I, I transferred like every three years to a different place in the United okay. States. So I lived... Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, it's it great. really yeah. is. Yeah, so... Yeah, Rosemont is where I was based, where the Chicago airport was. Because okay. international crime right. or international travel and crime happens there. Um, and then, um, yeah, I went to other places. So I think nine different states I've lived in. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You got me beat by a couple, but I was mm -hmm. retail transferred around. What was your primary primary duty as a fish and wildlife agent? What was your... It varied. So it was... Um, oh, geez, that's such a hard question to ask. answer. <laughs> the broad stroke would be criminal investigator, very similar to like a DEA agent or a customs agent or, oh, okay. or yeah. an FBI okay. agent. Okay. So... Either someone would come to me right. with information on a crime and I would investigate or I would see it on my own or at the international borders, customs would stop someone and they'd call me to investigate a person smuggling birds, ivory, elephant tusks, whatever. Right. And then I would follow it to see is this a, a, a one-time deal or is there something yeah. further? And there were many cartels involved in this. For instance, Shut up! Yeah, cocaine, or not the cocaine, but the drug smugglers also were tied into the wildlife smuggling because it was a lot of money wow. they can make. And sometimes they would use the wildlife to actually conceal the drugs. Like they would import legally acquired boa python constrictors or something, make them swallow packages of cocaine and then import it, thinking, oh, it's just a snake. People are like, okay, you're clear to go right, through. Right. You get the snake, cut it open, and take the, co the cocaine out. Yeah, that's a bad deal for the yeah. smugglers. For the snake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah, things awful. like that happen all the time. So, that. so the other thing is, the job I did versus other federal agents was more varied because you can say, what does a, a wildlife smuggler look like? And I, I could say it looks like anybody right. you know. But you can say, what does a drug smuggler look like? What does an arm right. smuggler? And people have their image. Oh, Preconceived, yeah. Yeah. But you're talking from medicinals to people in the fur industry, you know, glamour in New York, to the bird smugglers, to the, the hunters. That is bananas. Yeah, or to the average tourist just going down picking up stuff. Huh. So it was a bunch. That is, uh, that's crazy. And then, um, let's see, just following your career after that, you were an augmented air marshal for a while? Tell me what, I'm not sure what an augmented air Augmented mean I wasn't a real air marshal. So when the Trade Center bombing thing happened, there were maybe 35 U.S. air marshals, that's a, a, an official job, right. that flew. Before that, there was a sky marshal program because of the hijacking to Cuba and all that sure, kind of yeah. stuff. But they were phasing that out because pretty much... Hi, yeah, hijacking was over. Yeah, it was yeah. over. And if something happened, okay, just do what they say and they'll go to Cuba and you're done. Right, right. <laughs> right. No Training one, course is one page. Pretty much. Yeah. No one ever thought that someone was going to kill someone on a plane right. or blow it up or sacrifice right. themselves. That's not human nature. And that's right. That's what it didn't. Yeah. Right. So that surprised everyone. So when that happened, everyone was afraid to fly. I'm actually writing a book about this called um, FAM Fourth Wave. It's about the Federal Air Marshal Program hmm. for the 
those of us who were augmented, which I'm going to explain what that means. Okay. Yeah. So it was like now, all right, we got to, we need to shore up the airlines, airways because people are not going to travel and ask right. commerce and all that kind of stuff. Right. So the president asked other agencies to volunteer some of their people to stand in, get trained because right. it's a whole different training process. Yeah. And until they can get some real people, air marshals to, to, to be on duty. It's very similar to like Pearl Harbor. All of a sudden, everybody wanted to join the army. Right. Same thing. So same thing. A lot of people wanted to join the, the air oh, marshal program. Same thing. Right. Yeah. Nine eleven. Everybody. Yes. Wanted, everybody wanted to join. That's the military. it. Yeah. So we, um, I volunteered, and uh, I went down to uh, I think it was Quantico to get trained with other people from other agencies on our duties because it is like I said different from being an investigator on how you would deal with mm. with uh, weapons on a plane or people on a plane and everything. And so we got our marching orders, and then we got our badges. I was an official air marshal, but augmented meaning it was only going to be a certain amount of time. Okay. So like a temporary or temporary. whatever. Temporary. So yeah. I did it for seven months until the new people came on and then they replaced us. And I got to say, the flight attendants were so grateful that we were Oh, I can imagine. Nobody really was concerned about them. Yeah. Know? But I they were. Imagine. They had to go to work. Yeah. Yeah. So like, oh, thank well, you for being It's here. funny how, how, it's not funny, haha, ha, funny, like uh -huh. ironic, uh -huh. how we often take things like hijacking flights and all that flight attendants and mm -hmm. how we take with COVID the, the medical people yes. first the nurses and doctors and clinicians who are on the front lines and people like that and whenever there's a you know I, I think I hope we do a good job of like firemen rushing into a fire first responders I hope I think everybody recognizes that but that second layer of people who have to go to work you know teachers who have a right. bunch of kids in the classes right. and things like that that's right. I think that's big I think it's probably kind of cool I would um if I were you you know I'm just spitballing <laughs> I would uh stop some sort of hijacking in that book <laughs> you can be a passenger 58 yeah one, one was... more than one more than wesley <laughs> that's a good idea i think i might do that write that in write yeah. that in but uh, as i was on the plane i was taking notes and getting ideas and of course oh, of course yeah, yeah so, that'd be very fertile ground i would yeah, imagine totally was yeah and then uh the last little script note here i want to talk about and eh, i probably not we might bring up some others but um you had a a, a a work that Denzel, Sade, and Blair Underwood all had an interest in to kind of took a look at and read? Yeah, so that screenplay that we were talking about that I made a music video on, I thought that would be enough for me, but it wasn't. I said, I have to make a film. Mm. And so, and I have any knowledge of how to make a film back then. Although I was in a few, right? Right, because that I've been in, Yeah, I've been in five or six, so I knew how the process worked, but I'd never been an executive producer or anything right. like that. So I hired a crew, spent my own money in quotations as they say because I'm like why wouldn't you spend your own money when people say oh you spend his own money to do that yeah if you're not willing to take the chance why are you asking someone else to yeah. do it so uh, I raised $100,000 and this was back in the film day before digital and uh, I got a crew together and I started calling people and I saw it called Denzel I called Blair Underwood um, Sade um, Shade acted? Oh, she was very popular at the time. Oh, she was popular, but did she act? Or no, but I wanted her to be in it oh, as nice. the love interest. Nice. And she was interested. It's just timing was bad. She was just getting ready to go on vacation for like six months. Her her producer called me directly and said, "Hey, look, we really liked it. So I'm sorry, but you know, she's going to take a vacation." <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and that's and that, I think people don't understand. Mm -hmm that the pyramid is steep there's a million ideas in the works there's hundred thousand or so that actually get finished and worked and set right. then there's a thousand that get talked about right 
you know, and then if you get to that thousand, that's pretty good. Then, then there's the twenty that get made, right. you know. But it's a really steep pyramid, and that's exciting to get to. If it had been in the digital age, I would have made the film because, as you know, you can do so much. You don't need yeah. a studio, but we yeah. had to hire professional equipment. Yeah, you know, thirty-five millimeter film had to be sent off to to Atlanta to be developed and brought back, and then you've got to go through the rushes and the dailies and cutting. And it was just too much, so I ran out of money, so it never got finished. Yeah. Well, who knows? Who knows what the future holds? The shadow knows. The shadow knows. <laughs> the shadow knows. It says also you lived overseas and you studied film in Budapest. Yes. So I had no idea Budapest was a Poland is. Warsaw really? Poland is really I mean Polanski came from there. They have a really, really big I'm not sure that's the name you want to attach to. You. I understand, but <laughs> no, I get you. <laughs> But the Europeans tend to make films differently than Americans, and so differently, more more narrative than action or okay. you know narrative driven, story driven. Right. I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, and I could have gone to film school in Los Angeles. I guess I should back up and say the reason I decided. Well, two points. One, I wanted to live outside the United States. Yeah. So I can honestly say. Or rebut if someone says United States is the greatest country to live in the world. And I say, how can you say that if you've never lived anywhere yeah. else? Yeah. I've traveled a lot, but I've never never really lived anywhere else. So I wanted to be honest and saying, well, yeah, the United States is great, but there are also some other great places. Right. And perhaps you should travel. So I you think can... everybody should travel. Oh, totally. It would open everybody your eyes up yeah. to so much yeah. and to that we're all pretty much the same. So I went to Budapest because they offered a class in English. Originally, I was going to go to uh, Vienna and study music because I'm a musician as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there was no. Now, what do you play? Saxophone, jazz. Oh, my son played saxophone for two semesters. <laughs> it was fun, you know. Yeah. I, and if you're gonna play a horn, man, sax is the one yeah, to play. It's a good horn. But then I, I I saw Budapest had film, and I thought, okay, I, I really want to learn more about this. Art what form. year about was this? 2015. Okay. Oh wow, just recently. Yeah, just recently. Okay. And before that, I was just doing video work. I had video camera. I was shooting some music videos and mm -hmm. things for people. But it was all either what I learned on YouTube right. or <laughs> stuff I picked up on my own through some classes at community colleges right. and all that. Right. But when I went to film school, I realized how much I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's hard. And that's, that's part of the problem with, quote, the YouTube generation, with mm -hmm. this generation, is you might know, you may be able to see the steps A, B, C, D, how to do X, mm -hmm. Y, Z. But you don't know what you don't know, right? And and that's important to know. I mean, it's important to know as much as you can, but it's as important to know what you don't know, exactly. so you know what to learn or yes. what to look out for, what yes. to be aware of. So that was that had to be that had to be. And they spoke a lot of English, you said, primarily Only English. in the classroom, the teachers, or I had a translator. Uh, it's it's interesting because I also wanted to go there because it was in Eastern Europe, okay, and the whole communist thing, and I kind of was curious about sure. all that. So the people in Hungary were very closed because they're very suspicious, even to this day. And that's because of they lived under communism. So yeah, it's not course. like they're trusting. So as an American, we're like, hey, how you doing? Da, da, da. You know, they're like, why are you saying hi to me? Right. You know? <laughs> Who right. are you? What do you want? Right. What do you want? Yeah. yeah. We went to Japan when my son was playing football. But we went to Japan and it was funny because he told me, my wife told me, other people said, don't talk to anybody. They don't like it. Blah, blah, blah. 
I talk to people and they love talking, mm-hmm. especially younger people love yeah. love working on their English. Yeah, Japanese. And, and they and they opened right up. I mean, it was so nice. I mean, uh, universally, it wasn't like three out of ten opened up. I mean, everybody I spoke to on the train or in a restaurant or whatever, everybody enjoyed talking. Which, again, just see as many different people as you can, right. see as many different places as you can, and that just helps you know scrub ideals from your brain that don't right. belong there. I agree. I um, I studied Japanese in high school, so and I actually was a student exchange ambassador, so I went oh, to wow. Japan and stayed nice. with host families. And uh, I didn't discover what your son was talking about because they were they're like New Yorkers where they won't talk to you. Right, right. But That's exactly what he said. Yeah, they don't yeah. they don't make eye contact. They, they won't engage. They won't engage. open anything. But if you say excuse me. Japanese or English, um, right. how do you, they will totally do it like, hey. Yeah, that's exactly what I found. Yeah. That's exactly what I found. So that's good news. All right, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and talk about your current project, or, or the, at least the project that introduced me to you, your 19 Shades of Black, and you'll give us some details about your inspiration and the history and how it became, and we will find out all the details and how people can watch it. John Brooks is my guest, and we'll be right back. My name is Chilala. My name is Lorraine. My name is Renee. My name is Lynn. My name is Jasmine. My name is Danielle. My name is Nicole. My name is Claudine Scott. My name is Carolyn Dawson. My name is Jasmine LaFleur. 19 Shades of Black came about because as a black man growing up in the late 1950s, I knew what it was like for me. So I wanted to ask the question. And the only way I can get that question answered was to ask them. I had to start somewhere. Even with all that I think that I know, I realize that there's so much more that I do not know. We need to do more listening and to have a better understanding of exactly where we've been, where we are, and where we might be headed. And of course, we have our own biases when we start particular projects, whether it's in science or in film, documentary film to be specific, on what you think the outcome's going to be. So in telling the story, I wanted the viewer to see the world through their eyes. I think the takeaway... And we are back today, my guest, John Brooks. He's a renaissance man. Travels a lot. He does writing, music, uh, film work, pictures and stuff. It's a pretty fascinating lifestyle. And right now, you are... How long ago? You About a year ago, maybe? Has it been that long since you released uh, 19 Shades of Black? Yeah, I think it was 2000... End of 2019, so 2020, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's that's what what introduced me to somebody. So I, I have to say it was very well done, Thank you. very interesting. I mean, it, it's it's a subject that is sadly a little bit of a niche. There's not a lot of people who are going to branch into that, but I encourage everyone. Essentially, now I and again I should know this, but you talked to 19 different people. Is that how we got the name? That was yes. Okay. Yes. There was <clears throat> 19. I was going to say a bunch <laughs> of black women Mm -hmm. and they talked about everything from hair and light skin to dark skin and how they're perceived in society and everything what what encouraged you or inspired you to do that project well uh the inspiration came from me being a black male and i know how hard it has been for me growing up in the 60s and 70s how how it's treated and i thought women have to have it 10 times harder and a black woman wow that's just like yeah i wonder even though i have sisters right i just never really engaged them on that topic. I just saw they were black, I was black, you know, we all had the same struggle. Right. But being a woman. Mm-hmm. And then so I would see, growing up through life, right, or through my life, I would see if I engaged with, let's say, people from a different race, a woman, and a black woman saw us, you could see a lot of them were like really yeah. upset. 
Yes. Because it was like, you're abandoning us. Now, let me also just interject a little bit. Most of my listeners know this. You probably don't yet, but uh, my dad's black. He marched with Dr. King. We have pictures of them together. Very, I mean, they were raised from a, as a freedom rider. Mm. That's where my dad and Tom, who introduced me to you, right. they met in Selma. John Lewis march across Edmund Pettus Bridge, and, and that's where they met. So my whole life has kind of been steeped in this. And I lived in an all-black neighborhood. And as you can see, I have a lighter complexion. Mm. I used to have hair. We used to be an Afro. Oh, wow. <laughs> but now you say I look like Mel Brooks. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he said that off the air, folks. I did. I look like Mel Brooks. I think I might terminate the interview <laughs> because of that. But um, so, I mean, I grew up steeped in black-ish to, to see the show, the culture, and, and I see that. And, and a lot of the things, I just don't want to be that white guy going, oh, yeah, black women are like, don't you date that white girl. You know, I don't want to be that guy. Right, right, and, right, I, and, right. and I'm not that guy. I just want everybody to know I'm not that guy. So you were saying. <laughs> yeah, so... I noticed little things like that throughout time, and then also I noticed that the standard of beauty is white in this country, yes. and a lot of black women, because they want to feel like a woman, whatever that means, right. would start straightening their hair, putting extensions, and then doing their hair like you know you see on TV, right. and I'm like, that's not natural. Why are you doing that? I was saying it to myself, right. but then I thought, you know, I want to know what their story is, so I asked them. I asked Now, them, did you start out with a vision of a project or did you start out with a little curiosity that turned into a project i started out with a vision of a project not necessarily that project because because i went to film school i wanted to keep my skills up and i thought mm -hmm. i want to make a film but san diego doesn't really have a big film crew you know to work with so i said all right let me just do a documentary by myself just to make my right. camera skills and editing so you filmed edited sound i everything. did everything nice. was, you're like prince I know it's so hard. I, again, I learned how much I didn't know right. and how you really need a team of people yeah, oh, to yeah. do it. I'm learning that on my podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I thought, you know, so this topic, what we're talking about, right. came to my mind. I said, this would be a good topic to do. So I would just, every time I saw a black woman or someone I knew, I'd say, hey, I'm doing this film, da da da. Would you be interested in being interviewed? You And did you get, you had to have gotten some pushback, some looks like, really? A film? You want me to come do a film? Yeah, there were a couple of women because <laughs> my studio was in my house. Of course, like, yeah, like okay. you made, like, yeah. They said, "Where's you?" I said, "Upset." Oh, okay. okay right. <laughs> I said, "No, really, I'm not, not making." I know this it's up. so funny. I feel like I have to have like because you're here in my mm -hmm. studio, which is attached to my house, mm -hmm. and it's in back. We're all alone. Mm -hmm. We're walled off in a room. Mm -hmm. It's fairly soundproof. And whenever I have a woman guest, mm -hmm. it's like I have to go over the top to make yeah. sure. Look, it, my wife's right here. Right. My daughter's over here. The, the neighbors can hear us. I'm not a creep. Here's yeah. 60, you know, sixty plus podcasts already online. Yeah. So. I I got that. Yeah. But once the interview started, they loosened up right. and started yeah, opening up. Yeah. And they saw this professional equipment. Right, right. <laughs> okay, he's legit. Right. But Yeah, yeah. not just a handheld. Right. Not an iPhone. <laughs> I've seen that before, and so I totally get it. Yeah. And, you know, some men are that way, so, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. All right, didn't mean to... to no, no problem. To do so uh, I, I wrote out a list of questions in my mind, because okay. I like writing things down. I thought, where do I want this to go? I had an idea. I want to start here. I want to go there. And let's, it's sort of like uh, you're doing this hypothesis, and let's yep. see if the conclusion is drawn. Yeah. Okay. So Scientific I'm asking, method. Exactly, because yep. I'm a scientist. So I, mm -hmm. I asked all these questions, the same questions of each woman, some based on just being black. Like, when's the first time you realized you were black? Because I know every black person had that realization. Because we didn't know we were different than anyone right. else until someone said. Right. And so I threw that question in there. And okay. then, what was your school life like? What's in work? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I've always, because I was a federal agent, or not because, but as a federal agent, one of my gifts was able to communicate with people and make them feel at home. I was never that guy saying, get on the ground, dirtbag, all this kind of right, stuff. Right, right. 
In fact, I would say 90%, more than 90% of the people I arrested would always thank me as I'm putting them in prison. Wow. That's a, uh, that's a valuable skill. Yeah. So, and a, and a well-needed skill around yeah. the world. Yeah. That's a whole nother story. But right. <laughs> when, when I was talking to these women, we're having a conversation like you and I are, but mm -hmm. yet I wasn't talking back. I was nonverbal cues, communication, and, uh, there's some really interesting things poured out. Yeah. No, I, I've watched it. It yeah. is really interesting. And uh, now, what is it about? I'm gonna butcher ninety minutes, roughly. Yeah, uh, about I think about a, uh, an hour and ten minutes. Hour and ten, seventy-ish yeah. minutes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, how much did you shoot to get that set? Yeah. <laughs> man, oh man! Each interview was at least thirty minutes. I had to after I shot everyone. And by the way, it turned out to be twenty-three women. Cause oh, I'm, really? I'm dyslexic, and I didn't know. I thought I had nineteen. Oh no! But well, I nineteen works. But the name yeah, nineteen works. I wasn't gonna change the name. Right. <laughs> Uh, but so many women said, I had some backups, you know, just in case, but there was so much said. Yeah. And I tried to make it like it was one conversation, like they're right. actually one body. Um, so I had to go through all the different conversations and tie it in. And then it took me a year to edit. Wow. To now, did you ask the question sequentially yep. to all of them? That, mm -hmm. That's smart. Um, just from a practical standpoint, because I've done some stuff where I've done it out of sequence. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. That's a whole <laughs> other animal of editing. Yeah. Um, any, any surprises? Anything surprise you in those answers? Yeah, the unity. Really? I thought they were going to be doggy dog on each other. Now, were they, they weren't all together? Nope. Okay. Nope. But they all, like at the end, there was two questions. I don't want to give them away in case people want to see it. Sure. Um, but I was surprised that there was a sense of unity among black women as opposed to fragmentation. Yeah. Because of the competition thing. Right. right? Now, do you think that would have changed if they were all in the same room? No, I think really? it would have been. Excellent. I think it would have been amplified. Wow! Because they all said at the end, "Hey, can you get us all together? I would like to meet the other women." And da 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 da. Did you? COVID happened, so I couldn't. Oh, yeah. well, let's do it now. We do it on my podcast. Yeah, we'll get it. <laughs> if you want, I mean, some are still in town. They were like they, and I, I had a I had a screening, and some came. Actually, Moxie Theater had a screening. I, I, I saw that you'd show, yeah. you said that, and two or three of them were actually on there and answered questions afterwards. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. I mean, we'll talk about it later, yeah, but sure. that'd be a fascinating uh, little exercise in, sure. in in that. That'd be fun. Now I'm excited. I, mm. Okay, now I got to get back on. Sorry, but you're boring now compared to <laughs> <laughs> compared to 23 opinionated no black women telling me their stories. Mm. What was the answer that gave you the most diversity, or what question gave you the most diversity in answer? Where were were there were there questions where women were all over the place, and you know they they all had very different experiences? Because I saw again. I saw it, and and you you can see that they're from very different socioeconomic backgrounds, and they're from different education levels. They're from all different things. Was there were there things that surprised you that they were just so like you ask what's your favorite color, and you got nineteen different answers, or you know something like that? Yeah, what surprised me was most of the answers were very similar to each to really? one another. Yeah, there wasn't okay. anyone that was the only ones that were far out, if you want to use that term, sure. are the women that were mixed blood. Really? Yeah, because they had a whole different set of issues to deal with yeah. in the black community. Yeah. You know, you're not black because you got white blood and da-da-da-da-da. So. Yeah, see, that was me. I spent yeah. the first 18 years of my life trying to prove how black I was. Exactly. And then I spent the rest of my life really not giving a crap because I just said, okay, you know, I mean, when I moved, and I moved to South Carolina and I used to wear my hair in a giant afro and I tried to puff out my nose as much mm -hmm. as I could, anything... Mm -hmm. To just right. to war off a question, right? Just so if somebody looked, they would have an idea or assume. Just so you don't have to go through the whole explanation. Because right. when I moved there, there was many times where I heard things I didn't want to hear. Mm -hmm. 
people I wanted to be friends with, people I was hanging, and then you'd hear them say something, thinking, you know, we're all in the same circle, and it's like, dude, I'm not in this circle, and it was, and that was, and again, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful just for the whole thing because there are people who who rejected me because when they like friends who found out and then rejected me, mm-hmm. there were people who accepted me no matter what and and stayed with me. There were there were people who didn't like me at all, which was fine, and people who liked me a lot, which was you know. But but I found out and I kind of grew into myself that people like me for me, mm-hmm. and not not because of quote who I am or what I am. I do miss sometimes the the black camaraderie that is is ingrained when you right. well, like in our even in my own neighborhood where i grew up where i was the lightest kid mm. actually there was a, a black kid who was albino who was like man they didn't mess with it's him at different, all different right it is different because, yeah and i'm like that's not fair i know right? come on <laughs> <laughs> but but that i got your back you got my back mm. we're in this together and there was a couple of times two times that stick out where we'd be doing something stupid and police would come around and they would hassle my and friend other, not me. you exactly right exactly mm-hmm. yeah so uh, and then and I wrestling with that later as you get oh what should you know well, so what do I do spit on the cop I mean, what do do I try and get in more trouble right. <laughs> you know so I'm treated the same or right. you know or or do you just do what a teenager does you try and keep your head down and, right. and not get in trouble but then was, the, the others notice too and they of course yeah. right yeah and again most of them we're still really good friends I went back a couple of years ago and and miraculously the six kids who are the closest on the block except one died was shot in a gang thing but but so there's seven but the six were all either in town or close we all got together we all went down the park, and it was like you know nothing had ever yeah. changed we we're just kids in the neighborhood again after 40 years or whatever That's great. so it was really cool um, are you are you doing anything with this project, or is is it is it done and you're moving on to the next thing? The, I've, I'm moving on, um, but I actually posted it on YouTube. Well, well, originally, I entered it in film festivals. Okay. I think 13 film festivals. I won six awards, so I'm happy about that. Heck yeah. yeah. Again, because of my first, and I had so many problems, and I don't think it's good. You know, yeah, but yeah. I'm like, oh, I could have done this, I should have done that. But yeah. yeah, so so I made it, and but COVID hit, so that kind of. The original thing was to have public screenings and have conversations yeah. and all that. But yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, we can have a podcast screen. Sure. And but <laughs> but like I said, right now it's on YouTube, and I'm going to take it down at the end of February because Black History Month. Right. It's been up well, at least eight months now. Okay. Because I wanted people to see it. And I'm getting some comments. Now, on where that. can you find it? So you, I actually developed a page for it, 19 shadesofblackcom So you can okay. go there and see the featurettes and all that. Okay. But I don't know if I link the actual film to that. So the film, if you just type in 19 Shades of Black, John Brooks. On your YouTube. Yeah, and my YouTube okay. channel pop up. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think you sent a, or maybe Tom sent me a link. Somebody sent me a link. Mm. So it's easy for me to see it. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't remember where. It's gotten enough views now where it'll come up if you put in those nice. words. Yeah. Nice. All right. That's session number two with John Brooks, director, photographer, uh, interviewer, soon to be podcast supporter when he gets the 23 women here in the. I can't do all of them, but with you. <laughs> like three or four because I limited right. studio space. We're going to learn a little bit more about the person. We're going to learn what he likes, what his hobbies are, things he's learned, things he loves, things he doesn't love. And then we'll find out what happens if we put him in the electric chair. So stay tuned for all these answers in our last segment with John Brooks. We are back with John Brooks. Now we're going to find out some stuff about the man. Find out about his uh, personal things growing up, um, things you like, things you don't like. And we'll start easy. Say martial arts. Tell me about your martial arts experience. Bruce Lee was my idol so much so that my I and all my other friends on the block we all 
sign up and went to kung fu or karate lessons yeah. we all went to different studios that was the fun oh thing. really we didn't go to the same school we all found what we liked and we studied one went to cobra kai yeah. one went to miyagi do exactly <laughs> it was so funny but um yeah and that changed my life the movies did too the kung fu tv series did on the philosophy which i really yeah. still enjoy um but knowing that i could protect myself and protect others gave me a confidence that just went throughout my life wow yeah, it was amazing. Now, how long did you study? And it was Kung Fu? Yeah, Kung Fu okay. was in high school. So it was three years in high school. Okay. And then uh, I moved to Montana to go to college. I wanted to stay with that style, but all they offered was Taekwondo. That was the popular style at the time. Right. Didn't want to switch. So I practiced on my own. Yeah. I actually taught some extension classes up there to people. Nice. And then when I moved to Texas, I studied uh, Wu Wei Wing Chun, which is a Kung Fu style, one of Bruce Lee's original styles. Is that where everybody Wu Wei Wing Chun tonight? And then, uh, so yeah, just been, and I, I teach self-defense for women. I guess I used to. Nice, okay. Um, because martial arts also was part of my being a federal agent as far as defensive martial arts. Okay. So, it's yeah. funny, whenever I burned myself in the 80s, I was like, dang, that's hotter than Kwai Chang Kang's branding bucket, you know? <laughs> you <laughs> get it. Different, yeah. And yeah, now nobody on earth would get it, you know, there's, unless you're old like us. But that was funny. Uh, you say you have a passion for languages. Hi, so this. Ah, I recognize that as Japanese. Exactly. Yeah. What so, uh, my first, second language was French in okay. like the third grade. But the California was progressive back then. Everybody was, and I'm so sad that they, they stopped so, Yeah, that. stopped all the language. Yeah. And then I moved to Spanish and then Japanese. And then out of high school, college, I did Spanish again. And then later on in life, on my own, I did German and Hungarian. Wow. And uh, a few others. Klingon too. Actually. Oh, Klingon. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I thought that would be a great undercover language. <laughs> it okay, now this is a dumb question that I, that I probably should know the answer. Is there an actual Klingon language? There is. There is, and and you can learn this through Duolingo, or they, how do you? How they, would... It's probably on Duolingo, but they have a Klingon university in Florida. Shut it's, up. Yeah, I did not. Books, learning Klingon, the Klingon English dictionary. Yeah, totally. It's a language. Really? Yeah, and it's actually a, the official language of geeks. For computer geeks, they use wow. Klingon. Klingon, Because uh -huh. yep. I, I always knew when people said I spoke Klingon. I mean, I knew what that meant. Yeah. You know, and but I thought they were just making stuff up. Yeah, it's Klingon. Wow. That I wrote a song fast. in Klingon. What's that? I wrote a song in Klingon. Yeah. I don't know if I want you to sing it. Or not. <laughs> can you? Can you? Can you bring it? You got a couple bars of it? Uh. Yeah, probably not. I okay. know. I remember that because I wrote this back in the eighty or in the nineties. Ba neho dosh. You know, something like that. It means honor among all things. All right. So there's this guy talking Klingon and that guy translating, and then there's music in the background. Wow. Yeah. Look at you. You were a geek. Yeah, was. That was your official language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, music? Jazz and Jazz blues? and blues, yeah. My father was a saxophone player. We all learned back then, again, like languages. Again, Everyone yep. played yep. an instrument. Same, yeah. And so I started on piano, and then but my father's saxophone was around, and as a curious kid, you just pick up stuff. And so I started playing it, and I says, okay, you can play that in school. So I went to school every day, learned. I, I actually was pretty good as a kid. Mm -hmm. I was told, and this is just memories, oh, right. I was a prodigy, and da-da-da-da-da. But I didn't take it seriously. Yeah. And my parents didn't make me practice, which I regret. I wish they would have said, no, you cannot go outside unless you play whatever. Yeah. It's funny, because my mom, I, was, I played piano, mm. and... Uh, 
I, I was never a prodigy, but I was okay. And but I never worked at it. And my mom kept saying, "You're gonna regret it. You're yeah. gonna regret it," which only made me push back more. Exactly. And 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 she was right. Yeah, I regret it. I, re- I should have played so a lot more it. because now the the synaptic nerves aren't firing, and I'm just okay. Yeah. And, yeah. And then when the pandemic happened, I actually stopped because I lost the desire to play, and that's so sad. Oh, that is sad. That's yeah. a perfect opportunity to make up some some time, catch yeah. up some of those lessons. Yeah. Uh, who are some of your? Do you pattern yourself after anybody, or just enjoy anybody? Yeah, John. John, I was gonna say John Coltrane. That's not true. It's um. We can Canada, like Coltrane. Yeah, I love him. Be, okay, I was gonna say he might not be your guy, but, but the guys I like: Cannonball Adderley, okay. Dexter Gordon. Okay. Uh, there's some blues cats I like. I can't remember their names right now. Uh, I just like how they how they riff. Yeah. 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 I recently fell in love with some of the just uh, there were some jam sessions and you just like like blues jam session or yeah. jazz or rock or what you know you can just jam sessions and you just find these 15 or 20 minute mm-hmm. studio sessions of people just playing yeah. some have vocals most don't which I'm a, I'm a singer mm. so I've always regretted like I was in a band we were the Grateful Dads oh, right. and uh, nice. and we played for about 14 years give or take and COVID and then we all stopped playing and kind of drifted our different ways mm. but I would love to go to jam sessions, but I, you know, like I play what tambourine. I mean, what do I do? You sing. <laughs> yeah, but then it felt sometimes like it usually wasn't, but sometimes it just felt like it was about me. Like I'm everybody's playing and I'm singing, you know, and I didn't want to scat and, and everything, and I didn't want to be, you know, all right, guys, I know the words to, you know, whatever. Uh, I, we did a lot. We did yeah. a couple times, but I, I just always wished that I could join in on a horn or a stringed instrument or something it's so much fun it's james san diego has quite a few actually still and it's so much fun just hanging out and writing new music on the spot yeah yeah exactly yeah Yeah. a lot of guys i would play with and they would just just riff and and sometimes it sounded great sometimes it sounded bad and it didn't matter you just kept doing it sometimes the train wreck we say yes exactly (laughs) um let's see you're plant-based since 1979 man that's way before it was cool to be plant-based vegan before vegan was before it had a name yeah exactly before it had a name i was trying to quote that kenny rogers song i was i was country before country Country was was country right yeah Yeah. country country was cool what 79 what year were you born uh 57 so you're 22 years old mm-hmm. in Montana, of all places, mid country. Yeah, I was gonna say, and you said, eh. well, what happened was I was what they used to call an anti-hunter. There was three categories: anti-hunter, non-hunter, and hunter. Right, right. Most of Montana's hunters. Yes. And so I would, being the California guy, was getting right. a bunch of arguments with these guys in the cafeteria. You shouldn't shouldn't uh, hunt because you need to let the bears and wolves come back and do what they're supposed to do. And it turns out I was right, by the way. Okay, <laughs> you know they did that with the if wolves. they're if they're listening in Montana. Yeah, after, well, they, yeah. <laughs> but, but one guy, even though he was not, he was not, he was correct, but he didn't know he was correct. He said, "You eat meat. How can you tell us not to hunt?" And I said, man, pigs and cows, totally different. They're being bred for food, da-da-da-da-da. Right. I'm talking about wild animals. And he says, no, nope, no, nope, no difference. I said, all right, fine, I won't eat meat then. Wow. I said, if I'm going to walk the walk, I got to, you know, yeah. I don't want to hear this argument anymore. So that's when I went vegetarian. I am not anti-hunter. Mm-hmm. I'm a, what, an non-hunter. agnostic hunter. Okay. Yeah, non-hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I have to admit, although I am cutting back just for some health issues, I, I, I like to meat. Uh, I like to meat from time to time. A little chicken, a little uh, beef, it's everything that we're reading is Americans especially, but people all over the world eat too much meat. Yeah. And we need to we need to scale back for a lot of reasons. So here's the thing, if we can just stay on that sure. just for one second, because I, I think this should be of interest to your listeners. Yeah, I've never chastised anyone for eating meat. You know, what you want to do is fine. Right. However, 
at this day and age because of this climate crisis we're That's in. That's true. Yeah. Eating meat, stop eating meat is the greatest thing any individual can do to slow down what's occurring in our environment because the methane gas that the animals produce, the amount of grain it takes to feed them, I mean, not just the pigs, but or the cows, but the pigs as well, and even the chickens, the water that's being wasted on them, the water that's being polluted. If we all cut back, and when right. I say stop, they basically cut right. back. You stop eating it, they'll stop producing it. And transporting, exactly. the cost of transporting meat yeah, and cattle it's just crazy. and everything. There's, I mean, there's a lot of compelling reasons. And, and I'm, that's pretty much my lifestyle mm-hmm. approach to most things. Is like we recycle almost everything, mm-hmm. and that's you know I believe that's sustainable. Mm-hmm. And I think that people get on the wrong side of that issue when they start like chastising people like me, mm-hmm. who I probably ninety percent of what can be recycled I recycle. And I'm not malicious. I don't say ah screw it, I'm not doing it. Right. But I might not know, or right. something might not be labeled. Right. And you know it's the same thing with with meat. I don't I don't think we need to go zero meat as a society. Mm-hmm. But if everybody just cut back twenty percent, fifty percent. You know, they'd be healthier. Right. The environment will be healthier. Yep. So there's a lot of things. And it's, there's so many, you know, I mean, you, I think that's the solution on almost everything. Immigration tax. Right. I mean, there's all kinds of middle grounds and compromises we can make. But we've unfortunately grown into a society that is all or nothing. Or nothing. Right. And the yeah. two sides are so polar. Exactly. Yeah. That you can't. You can't. And there, there's all kinds of peripheral things we can do. And I just think that that should be the selling point. Right. Is do a little. Yeah. And then do a little more. You know what my uh, my angel said, you know, we do the best we can and once we know better, do better. I don't know if you know this but I ran for Congress also. I, I know, we're getting to that. Okay. So, well, I ran twice and I ran on Well, let's go to Congress right now. Okay, so I ran on this last time on the environment and climate change. And one of the things I said, actually both times I ran, was Now, what district or District what? 53. And where? That's that here? Susan Davis's okay. district. Okay. And before that was 51 where Juan Vargas won. Okay. But in 53, actually both times, because this is a universal thing, I told people, I said, look, I'm all for solar and wind, but I'm not for having it out in the desert. That should be on your rooftop so yeah. you're getting the benefit. You are still paying the same fees if they're doing solar. It's right. It's not helping you. Right. So why don't you help yourself by right. putting in and just get direct electricity and use the grid as a backup? Yeah, which is the my plan twenty twenty two. That's going to happen in this house. This law will be it should it'll all be solar. So when you ran in twenty twelve, mm-hmm. what was your what was your inspiration for that? What was your Occupy Wall Street? Uh, and you want to occupy it? No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually was on my way to move overseas because I wanted to live somewhere else. I was going to go to Malaga, Spain. I even went to check it out, and then Arab Spring happened, right. and that spread in Occupy Wall Street, right. and I saw a wave, and I thought, you know, this is an opportunity in time that's never going to happen again, and so I can either be a part of the solution or part of the problem. Right. So I decided to come back. I thought, because the Occupy Wall Street people had so much power, that I said, if you guys just vote in candidates right now who believe in we can change everything overnight. And I told them this. And what they said, no, we're not going to support anyone. We're just going to protest. And I right. said, well, you just gave your power away, dude. They did. And that, that's the biggest thing. Now, one another issue with Occupy Wall Street, it was a very ambivalent, it was more anti-this yeah. rather than a directional, how can we fix? Right. And, and it was scattered yeah. and everything. And if some leaders had... Been able, and that was the thing. It's a leaderless movement. Right. Well, then it's not a movement. It's, it's a just movement. a. It's just an amoeba moving around. Exactly. But if they had said, "Hey, we want to change the tax structure, or the investment mm-hmm. structure. We want to stop lobbyists from going, you know, back and forth from Congress to Wall Street to K Street. You know, it's something. It would have happened. It would have absolutely mm-hmm. happened. But they were so set on yeah. not having an agenda. Mm-hmm. They were so set on not having a concrete plan. Mm-hmm. 
that again they, they threw away their power they threw yeah. you know when you when you have a consensus and a voting block with an agenda with a specific agenda mm-hmm. you know you get and you, you're not going to get everything done they're not going to dis you know say no more stock market right i mean <laughs> that's not going to happen but you can you could have made i think they could have made changes yeah. uh, back in the day and then um after running in 2012 my dad ran for office a couple times mm. it's it's brutal it's, it's exhausting so brutal. it's ex, it's expensive it's it's, ex, it's yeah. horribly exhausting and most and, people don't understand right right which it's is, which is what the system counts on to be honest. exactly yeah. no it does it does and then you said hey i'm gonna do this again <laughs> because i learned so much the first time yeah and i thought okay. you know because climate now yeah well actually what happened was the bernie sanders phenomenon i said okay maybe this wave is coming again yeah <clears throat> so i decided to run again because and make climate and um um uh, Campaign finance reform is my big two topics. Oh, oh, two great, great. They can't, we need campaign reform. Campaign right? reform. And so I, I literally ran a no money campaign. I said, I'm not asking anybody for money. I just want you to hear me. I want to represent you. Yeah. Because the way we, I'm not giving my speech, but the way we treat <laughs> sounds politicians. Like giving, sounds like you're giving me your speech. I understand one of your uh, passions is Star Trek. Yes, it is. I am. A, uh, avid Mr. Spock fan and Captain Kirk, the original series. I grew up with it. Uh-huh. What do you think of the, the like the remakes and the movies and everything? The remake, which they affectionately call the Kelvin timeline because they're on the USS Kelvin or the Enterprise, the Kelvin is change the name. Yeah, and uh, that was the best thing they could do. Nice. If you're going to bring back Kirk and Spock, right? You, the alternative that was brilliant. Yeah. And they were so much like those guys. I yeah, loved it. I enjoyed it. I really yeah. enjoyed it. What about the whole series of movies and the Wrath of Khan? And Wrath of Khan was the best out of the old. Uh, when they first came on, when they first came back, it was because of Star Wars and people were into space movies again. So okay, we're gonna bring back Star Trek. Yeah. And they made it try. They tried to make it too much like Star Wars, like the opening sequence showing the ship. That was just a waste of time. Yeah. And they tried to pull in the old, you know, Kirk trying to figure out stuff. And it, just, it didn't work that well. But we still love Star Trek. Of course. But then Wrath of Khan and The Search for Spock were well done. Yeah, I think The Search for Spock was well yeah. done. It's funny, I think that's probably my favorite. Yeah. Of, uh, but of the, the Next Generation one's not so good. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And what's, what's Deep Space Nine? Deep is... Space Nine was a TV series. Right. And uh, that started off slow, but then it really, really got really good. Okay. Yeah, I thought All so. Right. I, I, I must confess to a lack of... Lack of Star Trek. I mean, I perfect. I grew up with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Star date. Right, right, right. Know, that whole thing was was part of, you know, my developing mm. social consciousness. Uh, and then, if somebody went down, shoot, I'm gonna butcher it. Red suit, man, you're probably gonna die. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so, so funny. Yeah, because Spock and Bones were blue, right? And then mm-hmm. Kirk was yellow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and if you, somebody wearing red. Then New they weren't coming red, back, right? Back. You're gone. So, don't spend that check, you know, too quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was always, a, and it's funny because, of course, in real time, I, I didn't yeah. put that together. Yeah. Then, as you grew up, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you have just committed a capital crime. Not me. No, you did, oh. and you've been convicted, and you've been sentenced to death in the electric chair. Yeah. So, you get one final meal. You get to watch a movie while you eat that meal. And then put on the headphones, they plug in your song, just sing you off to the sweet abyss. What's your uh, what's your movie? Wow, that is so hard. It is hard. That's why I gave it to you two weeks in advance. I know, but <laughs> what's my movie? It probably would be a space adventure because I in my last moments I would want to be hopeful that humanity 
you know, has totally screwed up by killing me. <laughs> yeah, right. You know. So That'll would, teach him. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to watch, like, a nature film or something like that. Someone's going to make me cry. I want something hopeful. And then thinking, like, all right, if I pass away, then maybe I'll take the, the hell bob. <laughs> yeah, right. Get in no. the purple tracksuit. So I can't pick a film in particular. I mean, I, I maybe I did. There's so you did. many. I did? Can yep. you give me a hint? Nope. Oh, uh, after your meal, I'll give you. It. I'll tell okay. you. Okay. So the meal would be a vegetarian meal, of course. Of course. Yeah. And um, I have so many. The one I made, one of my favorite, when I was just becoming a vegetarian, we call them vegetarians back then, but vegan. Right. Would have been like tofu cutlet parmesan. That's what you said. I did. Oh, well, you did. Cool. All right. With a little vegan cheese. Yeah, exactly. All I would right. love to have that again because I have not made it since college. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. And then. Uh, all right, so I give you a hint. Your movie was very similar to what you're actually going through. What I'm going through personally? Mm. In this scenario. <laughs> Not right this minute. Oh, well, well, if it's The Green Mile. It is, The Green Mile is what you, know, you that, said. That movie, it had me crying for a couple of reasons. When my mom had passed away a year before. Oh, and, oh and, dude. Yeah, and... Um, I'm, I'm like a Mr. Spock character, you know, so I keep my emotions bottled up and I didn't grieve enough. Mm. So when I saw that movie, I allowed myself to grieve. Nice. That whole, that, the movie's fantastic. Yeah, that movie was great. Yeah, it's it's funny. I put it up there with Shawshank, although most oh, people put great. it a notch below Shawshank, but yeah. I think those two movies are fantastic. Yeah. Can I have three movies? <laughs> no, you only get one. Okay, well, let me just say, it okay. would be between The Green Mile, okay. um, Castaway, okay. with Tom Hanks, Sure. Or The Martian. Oh, because okay. those two movies, Castaway and The Martian, just shows what a person can do when they, you know, have to do something. Yeah, the the interminable human spirit. I love those films. Yeah, those are those are both excellent. And actually, they're I'm not breaking any new ground here. They're very similar. One's yeah, yeah, in space, yeah. one's online. Totally same thing. You yeah. know, they're and they they find ways to survive. And yeah, do all this stuff. All right, now it's time to put on your headphones to be injected. And then you just fade off into the sweet abyss to Oh, I know what it is. It's love for sale. That is correct. Yeah. Love for sale. <laughs> yeah, Dexter Gordon. Or oh, I'm sorry, uh, Cannonball Adderley. His yeah. solo on that is so fantastic. Oh yeah. That would totally take me out. Yeah. And I would die with a smile on my face. Nice. That is going to do it. I super appreciate you coming over and uh, navigating the fence and the dog to get back to the studio. It's an honor. Um, it's uh, been a great visit. And where can people find you? Where can people find stuff about you? Uh, well, actually, I have two websites. Well, there's the 19shadesofblack.com if you want to see 1919 or 19 Okay. 19 Shades of Black. But if you want to see the things I've been involved, I put up a website called I Am John Brooks. Okay. <laughs> so... Which I am. I like my name because I actually, if, even I answer the phone or if you introduce me to someone, I introduce myself as John Brooks. Not, not John, John Brown? No, not John Brown. Not Brown. The abolitionist? Yeah, no. <laughs> John Brooks. I even answer the phone that way. Nice. And people say, why do you refer to yourself that way? And I say, because it's my name. I like my name. Yeah. And there's so I'm many not... Johns out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt about that. My son's middle name is John. So I am johnbrooks.com. You can read me as an open book there. All right. Excellent. So that's going to do it. You can find me at Tony of the Mic. TonyofTheMic.com is a pretty, pretty good hub to find everything. we got pictures, videos, links, and stuff. But I'm on Tony of the Mic at Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, 
Twitter, and all those sites are slowly becoming populated with quality entertainment products. And in the meantime, anywhere you get a podcast, you can hear Tony on the mic. So check it out. Download, subscribe, like, do all the stuff you're supposed to do to support a young, struggling podcaster. And uh, by all means, tell your friends. So with that said, John Brooks, say goodnight to the folks. Good night, folks. Thanks, John. Tony in the Mesa. The Mesa. Outro. 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 And that's going to do it for another episode of Tony on the Mic. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. I want to thank my guests. I want to thank my sponsors. And you can find more info and episodes at TonyOnTheMic.com. Tony on the Mic on Twitter, on TikTok, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. All these platforms are slowly becoming populated with quality entertainment products. So check it out. And tell your friends and click and like and subscribe and all that stuff. And it lives inside of me and those moments live inside of me. And I was at a bar recently where there was a shooting and I was terrified and I had to give a statement to an officer and I couldn't take my eyes off his gun. I, I looked from his eyes to his gun, to his eyes, to his gun, to his eyes, to his gun, and made sure that my hands were, were together and in a, in a situation where I was a victim, I was a survivor of this horrible, you know, tragedy that had just happened at this, this bar where people are just trying to have a good time. No matter what your education level is, you still have to know your stuff because someone will be quick to point out to you that you don't know what you're doing, you don't belong, or most yet, you don't deserve. I feel my dad did his absolute best to not let us believe that white is better. I see myself as being black when I look in the mirror, but I don't know what that means. And all the ridicule that I put up with is just extra armor that I use now. So I've definitely had to prove myself in ways that my white counterparts, especially my white male counterparts, have never had to do. Because if somebody's gonna walk around stating things about my community, about being a black person, that aren't true, then I should totally put a break on that. Because what if they say it to the wrong person? So there are things that we do as this cross-section of being black and women that is valuable to everyone. My name is Chilala. My name is Lorraine. My name is Renee. My name is Lynn. My name is Jasmine. My name is Danielle. My name is Nicole. My name is Claudine Scott. My name is Carolyn Dawson. My name is Jasmine LaFleur. My name is Janera. My name is Shawnetta. My name is Scarlett. My name is Rachel. My name is Khadijah. My name is Taylor. My name is Maya Kandiger. My name is Aku Ajibolosu. My name is Milan Finney. Nineteen Shades of Black came about because as a black man growing up in the late 1950s, I knew what it was like for me, the racism that, that was encountered, the systemic racism, the implicit bias. The, the standard of beauty always revolved around being white. And uh, in order to, to survive in this society, I, 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 in my, from my eyes, it looked like black women, a few, were trying to embrace that narrative to see what it's like to be 
a woman, if you will. So, but I didn't know. So I wanted to ask the question. And the only way I can get that question answered was to ask them. To understand what is it like to be a black woman in America, contemporary to our time. For me to better understand diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, I have to start somewhere. Even with all that I think that I know, I realize that there's so much more that I do not know. As an emergent technologist, when we talk about extending reality, it's critically important for us, if we're going to extend reality, then we must bring reality with it. And so to do that, we need to do more listening and to have a better understanding of exactly where we've been, where we are, and where we might be headed. And of course, we have our own biases when we start particular projects, whether it's in science or in film, documentary film to be specific, on what you think the outcome's going to be. When John brought this to me and shared this with me, it wasn't a question of whether he should do it or whether we should do it or not. It was, it was something that we had to do. So in telling the story, I wanted the viewer to see the world through their eyes. I think the takeaway for 19 Shades of Black would be, you think you know what it's like, but you don't know.